On the show this week, the plot thickens in the SNC-Lavalin affair. Jody Wilson-Raybould resigns from Cabinet, and the Prime Minister says he was surprised and disappointed because the government did nothing wrong, and Wilson-Raybould never came to him to say otherwise. She's not talking yet, so what happened and why is SNC-Lavalin so important? We'll search for answers. The opposition is also searching for answers. Will they find any at the upcoming Justice Committee meeting? And is there any other way to get accountability? Conservative leader Andrew Scheer is here. Then the carbon tax gets its day in court. A panel of judges in Regina have to decide whether Ottawa has the power to impose the tax. Is this a case about politics or the law? We'll ask Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe. I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to the West Block Podcast. The escalating SNC-Lavalin scandal that has dominated Canadian politics and consumed the government only promises to grow as Parliament returns this week. Questions about why Jody Wilson-Raybould resigned and if the Prime Minister's office pressured her to drop corruption charges against SNC-Lavalin have gone unanswered, driven by Wilson-Raybould's continued silence and the government's shifting story. The company at the heart of the controversy is one of Quebec's oldest and most prominent. Joining me now is Innovation, Science and Economic Development Minister Navdeep Baines. Welcome to the show, Minister. Well, thank you very much for having me. Sir, you're the Minister in charge of industry and, of course, SNC-Lavalin falls under that. Did you support a deferred prosecution for the company? So as you know that this policy development around the deferred prosecution agreement was presented in the budget bill. It was debated in the House of Commons and by many members in the Finance Committee and this reflects our government's position with regards to putting this particular tool out there to level the playing field with other jurisdictions that have similar uh, tools in their toolbox when it comes to dealing with deferred prosecution agreements. Were you in favor in this particular case though with SNC-Lavalin for them to receive a deferred prosecution agreement? Well as you know I'm the Minister of Industry and an essential part of my job is to meet with businesses and SNC-Lavalin met with me and many other members including the leader of the official opposition Andrew Scheer and Jagmeet Singh as well from the NDP to talk about you know particular issues with regards to their company. Uh, I was very clear about our support uh, for economic growth and jobs in Canada, but they understood very clearly that uh, I would not interfere in the independence administration of the law. Do you think that Jody Wilson-Raybould made the correct decision not to intervene? Again, that's a uh, decision that she has to speak to. I don't know what the calculation was that she made. I think this is what Canadians want to know, so I can't speak really on her behalf. I think that's where it comes to. We, we haven't heard from Jody Wilson-Raybould on this, but I, you were in Cabinet, you were in these meetings. Was your impression that this is what the government wanted, that they wanted Jody Wilson-Raybould to step in? Well, first of all, I can't speak to what was said in Cabinet, but I can tell you right now we have open, robust conversations. Uh, and, you know, with regards to the decision she made or did not make, what determinations or calculations uh, occurred, that's something that she can speak to. But from my perspective, we all understand the clear separation between having conversations and her ability to exercise uh, her independence. Uh, this is something that our government really understands in terms of the rule of the law, uh, making sure that we do not interfere in the independence administration of the law as well. Although that's what's at the center of this whole controversy, and I know that you were lobbied by SNC-Lavalin, which you just referred to, uh, your former chief yeah. of staff, your current chief of staff. This is such a, a large company, especially in Quebec, and it's the position of many in that province that the government should do something now. Are you in favor of stepping in and creating a deferred prosecution agreement at this point, as Premier Legault and others have asked for? 
So this is the decision that the current Attorney General has to make. This is not a decision I make or the Prime Minister but you're makes. The, you're the From industry minister. What would you like to see happen? Oh, yeah, no, I, I understand the concerns around jobs, but I also understand that you have to look at all the facts. I'm not in that position to look at all the relevant facts. That's before the courts. What I can say is that with regards to the deferred prosecution agreement, that tool does exist. The current attorney general can use that tool. The prosecutors can use that tool. Uh, my job, of course, is to listen to the concerns of industry, but I do not interfere in the administration of the law. And SNC-Lavalin understands that, and so do other businesses who approach us on a range of issues. Are you concerned about what will happen to SNC-Lavalin if the prosecution continues? Again, this is issues that have been raised by many in the business community, including SNC-Lavalin. I think uh, the deferred prosecution agreement, as I mentioned, does level the playing field with other jurisdictions like the United States, UK, and Japan that have this. But at the same time, we want to make sure that anyone that has done something wrong does meet the consequences of those acts. And so it's really important to make sure that people are held accountable. Uh, what do you say to Canadians who perceive this as big companies getting a break that no average Canadian ever would? Again, this is where I think Canadians need to recognize that we have a co complete separation between the political conversations that we have versus the administration of the law. There's two courts before the, the courts right now, two cases before the courts right now, and our job is to really focus on making sure my job is to look at economic issues, make sure we continue to see growth in jobs, but when it comes to the administration of the law, we defer to our current attorney general or the previous attorney general or the, the courts and the justice system to address those issues. That's why we have separation between the political apparatus and the judicial system. But, but that's, that's what's at the center of this whole scandal, is the allegations that the prime minister's office was trying to interfere in that, that they were trying to have Jody well, Wilson get involved. And that's actually what the change in law allows for. It allows for, politically, a politician to come in and direct the independent prosecutor on what to do. The attorney general has that ability. Not all politicians. I can't make that decision. The prime minister can't make that decision. But the attorney general is and a the prime minister has who's been very clear. Correct, but the attorney general also has the ability to look at the situation and make a determination accordingly. That's something that I can't speak to that the former attorney general, attorney general, attorney general Jody Wilson-Raybould has to speak to, or the current one, uh, David Lametti. But well, from our perspective, the prime minister has been very clear that, look, no a direction was given, no pressure was placed. So the prime minister has stated his position, but I understand the concerns you have raised and can Canadians have raised, and that's why we have clearly uh, said unequivocally that we would not interfere in the independence administration but Minister, of the do law. You, do you understand the concerns from Canadians who see the Prime Minister's story changing multiple times from saying Jody Wilson-Raybould did a great job to saying she didn't do her job by coming to him to on Friday saying, well, actually, we did discuss it and she asked if I was going to direct her not allowing her to speak by keeping that attorney-client privilege in place. Uh, she certainly seems to be expressing her opinion on Twitter by liking posts that are supportive of her, but we haven't heard from her. And that's something that your government could allow her to do. For Canadians at home, they're wondering why she's not being allowed to speak, as you've mentioned. And I would think that if this was the Harper Conservatives, you certainly would be calling this a cover-up. The solicitor-client privilege that you're alluding to that would allow her or not allow her to speak is something that she has raised. The prime minister has asked for direction from the current attorney general to look at that. Like I said, there's two cases right now before the court, so it's a complicated situation. But the prime minister has addressed these issues day in and day out. He's been very but clear he hasn't, with Canadians. But he hasn't answered and some of those questions when he's been asked very directly. For example, why would she have said, are you going to direct me, if she wasn't feeling pressure? He was asked that on Friday and he dodged. 
the Prime Minister has said, look, that question was asked, and he responded by saying, you have every ability to direct uh, whatever you want to. It's your decision. I think, you know, right now, the challenge is that we need to hear from uh, the Attorney General herself, and that's why we can't, I can't speak on her behalf, but the Prime Minister has stated his position clearly. Our government has stated its position clearly. Any meetings we've had with SNC-Lavalin uh, or even the opposition members, all of that is registered in public knowledge. So we're being as transparent and open and accountable to Canadians as much as possible under the circumstances because we well, cannot you, you could, or you I could cannot allow speak on behalf of Jody Wilson-Reebok. Uh, well, certainly the, you Pardon? can't. The Prime Minister could allow her to speak, but we just have a little bit of time left, and I do want to ask you about another key file that you're in charge of, Minister, sure. when it comes to Huawei. Uh, another big discussion. TELUS came out this week. They said there's going to be a serious material cost if the government bans 5G technology from Huawei. Would you consider compensating the big telecoms if the government makes the decision to ban that company? Well, that's prejudging the decision. Uh, as you know, I'm working with the Minister of Public Safety, Ralph Goodale, to look at all the relevant issues with regards to public safety and security and privacy. We will make a decision when we have all the relevant and necessary facts to move forward on that. So I'm not going to prejudge what that decision would look like or any compensation. We have engaged with TELUS and some of the other major providers as well to understand the technological issues. And we're also examining the public safety uh, issues as well and working with our allies. But make no mistake, any decision that we will make will not compromise public safety, privacy or security. Minister, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much. Jody uh, uh, Wilson-Raybould asked me uh, if, uh, if I was directing her or going to direct her to take a particular decision, and I, of course, said no, uh, that it was her decision to make, and I expected her to make it. Uh, I, I had full confidence uh, in uh, her role as Attorney General to make the decision. Answers. That's what the opposition say they want on the SNC-Lavalin affair, and the Prime Minister isn't offering much. There are doubts about what opposition MPs will be able to uncover at committee after the Liberals blocked their attempts by limiting the witness list and taking the committee behind closed doors. Opposition leader Andrew Scheer joins me now from Saskatoon on what comes next. Uh, Mr. Scheer, at this point, there's no sign that the Prime Minister is going to allow Jody Wilson-Raybould to speak by waiving attorney-client privilege. You've been blocked at committee with attempts to expand the witness list. What's your next move? Well, we're still holding out some hope that when the Justice Committee uh, meets again this week that they will uh, allow the witness list to be expanded. Uh, we're still putting pressure on the Prime Minister to waive that privilege. It seems like every day he's saying something else about what Ms. Wilson-Raybould said to her, him or what types of uh, things she did and didn't say. Uh, I think, frankly, Canadians are tired of hearing him speak on her behalf. We need to hear from her directly. Uh, we also need the committee to do its work. The, the, the fact that the committee, the Liberals on committee, uh, wiped out any, member, any possibility for some of these witnesses to testify, these are the key principal players that were there when the lobbying was going on. Uh, we need to hear from them. The fact that Liberals were afraid of what might be said to me is an indication of guilt, that there's definitely something that they're trying to cover up. From a government's perspective, would you want your key staff in the Prime Minister's office to testify in front of a committee of partisans? Is that really the best way to investigate what happened here and, and to get answers? The, the truth is not partisan, though. And our message to, to Justin Trudeau is, if nothing happened, if nothing untowards happened, 
then let those people say that. Uh, the, the truth is, is the best defense for people who have nothing to hide. And the committee proceeding could have just heard their testimony, uh, indicated what happened, and then Canadians would know. And the media could report on it, Canadians could watch it live. And these individuals who have been named in, in everything from uh, lobbyist reports to, to, to media reports could have an opportunity to clear the air. And I, I believe the reason why the Liberals are afraid of that happening and why the Prime Minister ordered them to block these attempts is clearly uh, there's something that they want to cover up. Uh, people who have nothing to worry about, people who aren't afraid of what other people might say in the office, um, would have no problem providing that testimony uh, to the committee. Do you think that what happened is not only allegedly an ethical breach, but potentially a criminal breach? Well, I would point you to the remarks made by the former Liberal Attorney General of Ontario, who pointed out that many Canadians have been investigated by the RCMP and other police forces uh, for a lot less than this. Uh, these allegations are very serious. Uh, we have the specter of political operatives in the Prime Minister's office putting pressure on the Attorney General to direct an outcome in a criminal proceeding to, to, to overrule an independent director of public prosecutors uh, to get a desired outcome, a, a better deal uh, for uh, a company that's facing very serious criminal charges. Uh, these are not the types of allegations that we're just going to take Justin Trudeau's word for. You know, his new attorney general said that he doesn't think anything untowards happened because Justin Trudeau told him that. The Prime Minister said that. Uh, I don't know of any court case in Canada where uh, a judge has decided not to proceed with an investigation because the defendant says he didn't do it. Uh, so I'd like to see a further examination on this. That's why we tried to get the Justice Committee to start this. There's one more chance this week uh, where Conservatives will propose additional witnesses to be heard from. Uh, the Liberals will have one last chance in a parliamentary setting to allow the light of day to be shine, uh, to be shone on uh, this very serious uh, scandal. A lot of folks in Quebec say, look, SNC-Lavalin is absolutely critical to the economy in that province and more broadly to Canada. If it fails, it would be thousands of jobs. Do you understand the argument that they're making about the concerns for the workers in that company? And given that, would your government be willing to reverse this legislation if you came into power that would allow for deferred prosecutions of very large companies? Well, of course I understand the concern that people have when it comes to uh, the potential for lost jobs. Uh, and, and, and obviously the people who are uh, working at that company uh, are right to have those concerns and, 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 and we are very uh, aware of that. Uh, that being said, the Liberal government changed the law to allow for uh, these, uh, these deals to, to, to be made, but the decision rests with the independent director of public prosecutions uh, and oversight with the independent attorney general. So the, the critical point for us to, to focus on is that political interference. Uh, Parliament can pass laws. Parliament can set penalties. Parliament can uh, decide what types of arrangements can be made, both for individuals and for corporations. And we can have debates and conversations about that. Uh, but when a political, when political staff, uh, perhaps on the uh, direction of, of, of the Prime Minister, or uh, picks up the phone or starts to exert pressure on an independent criminal proceeding to get a better deal, to get a desired outcome, overruling the, uh, the conclusion of these independent judicial officers, uh, that's very concerning. We are a country that has a foundational pillar of our society, our democratic institutions, the rule of law, and the independence of our judicial system. We cannot become a country where there is one set of rules uh, for the well-connected and one set of rules for everybody else.
We just have a couple of seconds left, Mr. Scheer, but do you believe the prime minister is telling the truth when he says that he did not know that there was pressure being put on Jody Wilson-Raybould, allegedly? Uh, I'd like to hear that from Ms. Wilson-Raybould herself. Uh, I'm, I don't take Justin Trudeau's word when it comes to his own ethical uh, scandals. He told us there was nothing to worry about his illegal uh, vacation in the Bahamas. He told us there was nothing uh, to worry about the Mark Norman affair. Now we see more and more evidence that there was and continues perhaps to be interference in that proceedings as well. So I'd rather okay, hear Okay, we have to wrap it up there. But we do appreciate you coming on the show, and I'm sure we'll be talking much more about this story going forward. Thank you very much, Mr. Scheer. Thank you very much. A panel of judges in Regina is now deliberating on whether the federal government has the constitutional power to impose a carbon tax on the provinces. Saskatchewan faced off against Ottawa in court last week, arguing the tax steps on provincial powers. Not so, says Ottawa. This is an issue of national concern. Pollution doesn't know any borders. It doesn't stop at the border of a particular province. Um, but look, this is going to go to the this is going to go to the Supreme Court. So, how much of the case is about law, and how much is about politics? Joining me now is Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe. Premier Moe, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Mercedes. Premier, what's at stake in this case? Well, I think what's at stake is, uh, you know, really uh, the the, uh, the the fact of of the of the, the constitution and the the federal intrusion into an area of provincial jurisdiction. That's what's at stake. Uh, we've seen um, federal governments in years gone by that have uh, taken initiatives uh, such as this, where they have uh, moved into what is traditionally a traditional or a, a provincial uh, area of jurisdiction, and we've seen provinces uh, lay down their land in, line in the sand if you will, uh, in years gone by. We saw it uh, with Peter, P uh, Premier Lougheed in Alberta years ago with the National Energy Program. We've seen it a number of times in Quebec over such issues as language rights and others where, where the, the province has felt the, the federal government is, is moving into an area as per the Constitution where they shouldn't be. And that is what you see playing out here in Regina uh, this week is the legal argument uh, with respect uh, to uh, federal intrusion in provincial areas. This, uh, this, this legal portion of this conversation is a little different than the public conversation that we have seen. Legal conversation is not about climate change. It is about the Constitution of Canada. The public uh, discussion that we have been through the last number of months is, is about climate change, a global issue, and will a carbon tax uh, in Canada or in our provinces uh, have any effect on that or any uh, relative effect on our economy or on uh, the finances of our families? One of the legal arguments the federal government has been making is that climate change is so serious and such a threat that it falls under federal government jurisdiction. Your critics say you're simply not taking climate change seriously. What do you say to them? Well, it's a global conversation, uh, not only a national discussion uh, that we need to continue to participate in and share the innovation and opportunities that we have, and the, the public discussion has been about whether or not a carbon tax is actually have any, would actually have any effect at all in addressing uh, carbon, in addressing uh, our, our carbon profile uh, in the nation and enhancing sequestration and actually having any impact on, on climate change, uh, so to speak. Uh, what we're seeing here is, is the federal government attempting to tax uh, one or two or three provinces, not across the nation, and uh, that is in violation of the Constitution, as, as, as uh, our opinion and as our case uh, put forward yesterday. If the federal government uh, chooses uh, to impose a, a GST across the nation, uh, they can do that, um, but they are not able to impose a tax on certain areas of, of Canada's, uh, of, of, of the of provinces uh, in our nation. 
Do you think that there's a contradiction, though, perhaps in supporting the federal government laying a pipeline against a province's will, but not a tax? No, it absolutely supports uh, the Constitution because uh, railways, pipelines, um, those types of infrastructure projects are clearly laid out in the Constitution to be under the federal jurisdiction. Uh, taxing certain areas of the province uh, with respect to, to carbon emissions uh, most certainly are not. Do you have any recourse, Premier, in terms of the short term? Because this is likely to wind its way all to the Supreme Court, that federal carbon tax is likely to be imposed on your province before it gets there. What's your next step to try to fight back? Well, what, what we've seen, we have a number of, uh, a number of uh, uh, decisions that we have to make uh, between now and April 1st, but the fact of the matter is, is the federal government, the prime minister, this federal liberal government should respect the court process and allow some time for the courts to come to a decision in the very same way that they did in the case of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Uh, they allowed the courts to come to a decision and then they, they uh, took uh, action after that point. They should allow the courts to uh, come to a decision uh, as to whether or not the Canadian government even has the constitutional authority uh, to, to put this tax in place. This is how Canada has formed, this is actually how our constitution came to be, was by evolution and having these discussions, not by a revolution, which is the initiative that I see being put forward by the federal government. So what would you like to do in Saskatchewan to fight climate change? We already are. We've introduced our plan of prairie resilience. We have a methane action plan with respect to our energy industry. We have a 50% we have a, 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 a renewable plan in our power electrical grid coming into play by 2030 that will result in at least a 40% reduction in our emissions profile in that sector here in the province, 10% in, in, in further than what the Paris Climate Accord commitments were. Listen. The, the, if we truly are to address uh, what is a global challenge, we need to take the innovation that we have in Saskatchewan and Canada and move it all around the world. We have some very clean and sustainable industries uh, here in Saskatchewan when you compare them to industries around the world in the, in the potash mining industry, in the uranium mining industry, in the energy industry. And we should uh, do, do better at sharing uh, that technology and those opportunities so that we can address emissions in China and in India and the United States and other areas of the world uh, rather than trying to tax our families across this nation. Premier, we just have a few seconds left, but there's a convoy that traveled through your province on its way to Ottawa this week. Do you think the federal government is going to hear what the people in that convoy have to say? Well, they, they should listen to people in that convoy because they are representative on many topics uh, with respect to some of the headwinds that are being placed uh, in our industries in Western Canada by this federal government. Headwinds like Bill C-69, which essentially is a bill to, to shut down all pipeline construction, to shut down all industrial construction. Uh, the carbon tax uh, initiative, a policy initiative that's been put forward by the federal government. The federal government should listen to these individuals because the people are speaking in recent elections in Ontario and New Brunswick and We'll see in Alberta, um, these types of, of policies are going to be front and center and have been in these elections, will be in, in the future uh, provincial elections, and I would put forward in the federal election this fall. Do you think that the SNC-Lavalin scandal shows that Quebec companies are treated differently by the federal government than Western companies? With, I, I won't speak specifically uh, with respect to, to SNC-Lavalin, but the the regulatory, uh, the regulatory headwinds that are being put in place, as I said, uh, 69, Bill C-69, uh, the carbon tax imposition on our, on our industries that are operating uh, much cleaner than like industries all around the world often uh, seem to be located in areas of Western Canada. But we have Blaine Higgs uh, coming out to, a, to an Energy East rally uh, here tomorrow in the community of Mooseman. Um, so I, I think it is much more related to the industries that are generating wealth across the nation. Um, some of these headwinds that are be, being put 
put in place as opposed to certain regions of the nation. And I think it's important for us as Canadians uh, to, to work together on these nation-building projects um, and ensure that they get built, like TMX, like Energy East, uh, so that we can continue to build our wealth in families and in family households and, and communities across the nation. This is what we have done over the past number of decades to be where we are, and this is what we need to continue to do. Premier Mo, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, Mercedes. Thanks for checking out the West Block Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and listen on your Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you find your podcast. And join the conversation at the West Block Facebook and check out our Instagram page. And please tune in again.